1: Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and my co-host Larry Gersham and I have a very interesting show for you tonight. Now we always say that and it's always true because so much happens each week. The most interesting conversation Larry and I have each week is how in the world can we pare this down and how can we pick and choose because there's so much to talk about and so little time. But One of the things that is on everybody's mind and has been for some time, I would say, over the last six months is, when are our kids going back to school? And obviously, that answer has been different depending on what jurisdiction you live in. But one thing has remained constant. The kids are really excited about it. And mom and dad are, too, in a lot of cases. But here is what one Texas mother decided that she was going to try in really pursuit of Uh, a school safety experiment. Now, this has been all over the news, so um, many of you may have heard of this, but there was a 30-year-old woman in Texas that actually masqueraded successfully for most of the day at her uh, 13-year-old's middle school uh, masquerading as her daughter. And this has a lot of people talking um, about this, this story on a lot of different fronts. And let me just give you a couple of the a couple of them and then I'd like to sort of talk with Larry about the the dueling narratives that have sort of come out of the story. So now this 30-year-old, God bless her, takes great care of her skin, I guess. She um passed for her 13-year-old daughter for six out of seven periods and only got busted in the seventh because a sharp-eyed teacher noticed that in fact, even though she was wearing a hoodie and a mask, she was not her daughter. Um, asked her to stay after class and then said you're not and then of course the name of the daughter's name however the the woman that posed as her daughter put the footage on social media and it went viral as you can imagine on YouTube and it shows her walking around campus talking about how nervous she is looking around shifty-eyed all of the different signs and symptoms Larry that I teach on when I give my red flags classes in other words these are the behavioral indicators to look at that makes it maybe more likely somebody's trying to get away with something. And she did it all day long, even even ate lunch without a mask, and was never recognized as being a 30 year old on a middle school campus. Now, Larry, we know why she why she did it. It wasn't a a freak a freaky Friday scenario. Remember that movie from the 80s? Gosh, that might have been the 70s. I'm probably <laughs> probably shouldn't date myself that way. Um, but it was more towards, as she put it, a social experiment designed to illustrate how easy it would be for a bad person to sneak onto the school. So she wanted to protest against lack school security. But Larry, is that a reason to break the law like this?
2: It's a risky uh, procedure. I would say uh, I kind of commend her on doing it, uh, but uh, in a way, it shows that we still do have lack security in our public schools, which is worrisome. After there's a. Bad incident. And we just hope that never happens again. The incidents that we're talking about, uh, people get really uptight and say, well, let's let's double our security. And they have. But still, there's a lot of holes in that security. And this is an exact example of it, how it can happen.
1: So here's the other narrative that's been circulating around now. This is like, you know, um, now, of course, Larry, you've probably never gotten a speeding ticket in your life, but maybe some of our listeners have. And you you show up in traffic court and you say guilty with an explanation, your honor. This woman was is guilty with an explanation. So she got charged. She got arrested. She bailed out Um, one of the charges is trespassing. The other is tampering with government documents. But she's no doubt going to get to court and say, yeah, I did it. I mean, obviously she posted it all over social media. But this is why to to demonstrate lack security. But here is the other side of that. Now, what if you were to have copycats or somebody saying, hey, let's see if I can get a gun pass security at the airport, or maybe I can breach the entrance to a government building. So some are very concerned that somebody might become encouraged, inspired or emboldened to do this in another venue. And we do worry about security. Obviously, best case scenario, everybody tightens their security. Everybody becomes hard targets, as we say in threat assessment. But you could still see the other side of this. As many people are saying, I can't believe that somebody would go to this extent to demonstrate lax security. If, if security was lax and a parent thought security was lax, maybe they should have just spoken to the school about it.
2: Yeah, I, I can tell you kind of an interesting story that's not 100 percent uh On point to this, but if you've ever seen the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High, it was a 1982 American coming-of-age comedy drama film.
1: That's one way to describe it, Liz. Yeah, it was written by
2: a (laughs) a gentleman by the name of Cameron Crowe, okay, and it was based on a real-life experience. He wrote a book before the movie was made, it was called Fast Times at Ridgemont High, a true story, where he posed as a senior for an entire year and you won't believe this Wendy it's the high school I went to honestly I went to Claremont High in San Diego California and when I saw that movie I was in Hawaii and I said you know I think I had teachers like that that really picks up the vibe of the school I went to and it turns out it was the school but he posed undercover for an entire year without being discovered
1: Well, you know, Larry, that brings up a point that this mother made is she said that the only time she received attention in class is for having her phone out when it wasn't supposed to be out. In other words, you know, when we when we imagine we envision our kids in class during the day, we expect, you know, we think about them interacting with the teacher and looking at each other and noticing how everybody's doing. But she was able to make it through six out of seven classes without anybody recognizing she wasn't. Her daughter. Now, granted, she's four feet, 11 inches and weighs a whopping 105 pounds. So she's built like a middle schooler. So maybe that was part of it. But wouldn't you still notice? I mean, Larry, if you and I were on a bus together and we both had masks on and we looked at each other, we would know you would know.
2: (laughs) Right. I think there's a little bit of that. If you see something, say something, a lot of people are very reticent to say something, say it looks odd, but you know, I'm not going to get into the middle of this. I've got my good life, my good day going. I'm not going to take a chance and report this person. I'll just ignore it. And there could have been some of that people, they might've said that looks strange. She looks a little bit old to be in middle school, but uh, that could be part of it.
1: That's a really interesting point, Larry, because now you imagine, you remember back in the day you had to sit, you know, you had assigned, I don't know if they were assigned seats, but we had the same seats. And I guess this middle schoolers told her mother where she sits in every one of the classes, but you knew the people that sat around you because they were there every day. And you, you think, wouldn't they have noticed that's not her? I mean, true. I mean, the hair color's the same and there was a hoodie and a mask, but you can only go so far to where, We as human beings have so many different cues that we use voice, um, eyesight, mannerisms. We know the way people walk, we know the way they talk, the way they laugh. You know, wouldn't you notice if your friend that's been sitting next to you all year in class is all of a sudden somebody different? And if the answer is no, you wouldn't notice, then I think we have more problems than than uh, the the legal misdemeanors that this woman is facing.
2: Yeah, luckily she didn't have to take any tests for her daughter. She might have I
1: thought the same thing. What are the odds of a pop quiz in one of the classes? (laughs) Uh, Well, Larry, you have another story that you wanted to talk about that has to do with our our precious young people.
2: Yeah, I do, Wendy. And I just call this, uh, parents, you must protect your kids. And there's some stories coming out now, folks. Uh, Early sexualization of our children. Last fall, parents at a posh, $55,000 $55,000 per year school is called Dalton School. Heard about their uh, first graders, their first graders being taught. Uh, I'll just say, I don't know if I can say this on, on radio, so I'm just going to call it their self-sex. That's what I'm going to call it. And I think you might understand what I'm talking about. It starts with an M, but they were taught about self-sex. Uh, and basically, the teachers, the students, or actually the parents were very upset about that. It turns out this, Instructor, her name was Justine Font. Uh, she just earlier in another uh, preschool, uh, not, not a preschool, but a middle school, taught about porn literacy workshop, and that's for like a prep school. These kids are like maybe twelve or thirteen or something, and so they're going way too far. And uh, Nickelodeon uh, had a a segment where they're, they had a, a, a transgender person singing about all the meaning of the gay flag. So, in a sense. Uh, you know, I don't care what sexualization people choose, but you shouldn't be programming kids at that young of an age. What's the point of doing that? And another one is the critical race theory. We have to keep on going back to that topic because it's in the news. And uh, there was a mother back in New York, you've got to see this clip. And she just went on to the school board and said, you snuck this curriculum in. They 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 actually violated the uh, school district board uh, curriculum committee and snuck this book in about critical race theory. So, so what's the point? And Dennis Prager, he said, according to national, uh, uh, according to him, the only way we can save our country is to pull our kids out of the public schools, and that's the only thing that we have to protect our freedom, uh, to protect our families, to protect our. F- children our government our sports our news our entertainment our media our medical establishment the cia the fbi the state uh, state department and the military is to take our children out of public schools and i would just say folks you need to monitor it if you can't afford to do that you need to at least monitor that and maybe join a parents group that can monitor that because the stuff they're putting in schools is pure indoctrination especially in the government schools
1: you know, there's a lot um, There's a lot of pushback on both sides when we talk about kids and what they're learning in schools. You know, there's such loud voices um, in terms of what we want kids to learn, what we think they're learning. There's differences of opinion. I think the best thing that parents are learning to do over the last couple of years is educate themselves to, you know, what we should be involved in what our kids are learning and make sure that. Um, we are uh, involved in that process, so Larry, I think you you know over the the, the year over over a year that we 've been talking about this on the air, um, you brought up some excellent points as we 've gone along regarding ways in which parents can become more involved so that they can have more of a voice and more of a decision um, as to what their kids are learning, and also you know parents enjoy talking with their kids about what they're learning at at school. And I think that's a wonderful thing, too, is being a part of the process. You know, I don't know about you, but my colleagues and I joke that our kids' homework is so, so hard. We're lucky if we can help them with it anymore. That's true. But um, we're going to continue this after the break. We're going to take a short commercial break. So you are going to want to stick around. We have somebody that is the editor of Whistleblower magazine uh, David Kupelian on the other end of the break. So don't touch that dial. We will be back in a flash. We're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy.
0: News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick.
1: Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick, and Larry Dersham and I are back with a very distinguished guest. Larry, who do we have on the line today?
2: Right. I'm really privileged to introduce David Capellian. He's a veteran American journalist. He's vice president and managing editor of the online news giant, WorldNet Daily. He's editor of Whistleblower magazine and a widely read columnist. He is also a best-selling author of three amazing influential books. I own two of them actually. One is called The Marketing of Evil and its sequel book, How Evil Works. And then the third, The Snapping of the American Mind, with the subtitle Healing a Nation broken by lawless government and godless culture he's been featured on fox news msnbc cbn and interviewed by sean hannity tucker carlson laura ingram and many many other people so so privileged to have him on thanks for coming on
3: today david well i'm happy to be with you larry and dr wendy thanks thanks for inviting me on
1: so, David, I understand you come from um, quite a past. I know your father was a survivor, a genocide survivor. Um, I, I know that you and your family escaped to the U.S. You graduated from MIT, became one of the nation's top rocket scientists, this point, and then appointed as deputy undersecretary for, for the defense of strategic and theater nuclear forces under Ronald Reagan. That's a mouthful. I don't think I could say it again. Um, but with a background like that, and what a pleasure to, to have you with us today, it sounds like you had a very challenging childhood. I would just love to know if there even is one thing you could focus on. What was what was the most, uh, I, I would suppose, challenging part of growing up in a, a home like that?
3: Well, I mean, to be really honest, everybody is damaged by that. You're going through it. My, my, father, you mentioned, so his his father was murdered by the jihadist Turks back then. So my dad grew up without a dad and he, they arrived in this country uh, and uh, didn't speak a word of English. And he worked as a janitor when he was 11, 12, <laughs> 13 years old. And yeah, he was a smart guy, ended up graduating from MIT and becoming a, a you know, a aeronautical engineer, a rocket scientist. But Everybody who goes through that, you know, and it's not just him, it's like we lost, you know, really dozens, as many as a 100 family members, relatives from both sides of our family in the Armenian genocide. Uh, It does affect you. You're sitting around, you know, a suburban family room and the the safety of those environments, but you're talking about Things I don't even want to say. <laughs> Horrible things that you experienced and that you you witnessed. Uh, you know atrocities and 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 so forth. And it you know my parents. They're good people. They 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 uh, were were faithful to each other and did the best they could raise in the family. But like, there's always. There, there's always sort of the aura of, of, of the of trauma and the pain. And I, I grew up hearing about things I shouldn't have been hearing about, uh, you know, when I was, when I was little, wow. but that was the experience of, of our family. So, um, you that, know, that's, that it, is, it is what it is. But I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be an American and I know my dad was.
2: That's amazing, David. I'd love to, to read a book on that. Uh, but David, uh, there's so much change occurring in our society today from qu- questionable election integrity, to cancel culture, to critical race theory, to BLM and Antifa. If we were to zoom out to see the big picture and try to make sense of it all, are we witnessing an attempted Marxist takeover of the United States?
3: Yeah, you absolutely are, And, and people balk at that. Marxism, oh come on, I get socialism that Marxism sounds like something so far off and it's off in in Russia somewhere or in Venezuela or whatever, okay? But look, just look at some of the best-selling books right now, top 10 like Amazon books. You have American Marxism by Mark Levin. You have uh, Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. By Matthew Lohmeyer. he's the guy who was canned. He was a official in the Space Space Force, and the Biden administration kicked him out because he told the truth. Uh, David Horowitz has got the enemy within. How a totalitarian movement is destroying America? Um, it, it's getting to be harder and harder to deny because most people, just taking it out of the the jargon, the left, the right, the Marxism, it looks. Start raving mad if you look at what's going on right now in the country politically and culturally. The culture, you know, guys. The culture. The culture has been in the hands of the left for a long, but the politics now is also. Excuse me, Wendy. Go, go, go ahead.
1: It was kind of along the same lines as, as you just mentioned, you know, the culture and the politics. What about the major cultural shift that has been basically a weakening of a belief in God over the, the course of the years? And, you know, I would just be curious as to um, how you see that trajectory where it's common and, and God forbid where we're where we're going in terms of disregarding or or downplaying or not or failing to really sustain um, our Judeo-Christian roots
3: yeah it's a great question because that is really the reality. everything else you know, left, right, conservative, this is all code. Talk. What does that mean? The left, okay, The left is code for a a godless revolutionary movement or mindset or worldview. It is angry. Uh, you look at Barack Obama; they call him, you know, the No Drama Obama. The man is churning with anger and resentment all the time, and always has been. Anybody with a little perception would, would see that. So this is this this revolutionary movement, this this rebellion against America, and as you said, against our our uniquely blessed Judeo Christian constitutional republic. All these things that we I'm 72 years old. I grew up you know, cherishing these things, these are filth to, to, to the people we're talking about. It's all, they, they want to fundamentally transform, to use Obama's words, uh, America, they they want to take the best, most successful, least racist nation on earth, and they want to transform it. Okay. But I think people need to look past the labels. This is not about racism or inequity. It's not about Trump supporters being white supremacists, uh, you know, domestic terrorists. This is really about a hatred of America, because deeper than that, it is, you're exactly right, Wendy, it is a hatred against God and his 10 commandments. I wrote a column not too long ago about how the left has to violate all 10 of the 10 commandments. I went through every one of the 10 commandments, all of them. And I showed how, the left not only can't operate; it can't even exist without violating all of the Ten Commandments. and you go, you, through know, this, we'll see.
1: you know, I have go so ahead. many friends on the left that are that are that are Christians and they're avid Christians, and it's just interesting the way there seems to be this real split between people that are ideologically aligned with being a liberal or conservative, and on both sides on of the aisle, so to speak, politically at least. You have strong Christians, wonderful people that love God, love country, love each other, love everyone, right? The human race. Um, And then you're right. There are some people on the fringe on both sides that seem to almost define, uh, you know, some of what is uh, showcased most in the media. I know, Larry, you had a follow-up question um, sort of along these lines, too. But that seems to be what what we see. Right, Larry?
2: Well, yeah, I was going to ask this. Uh, It's been a real tough year for the u.s and the world because of the pandemic uh and it seems to me like these governments are using this crisis to get con- uh to get uh a mass power and control over people so it, in what ways do you think government is using fear to implement their transformational socialist policies
3: um every way you know you <laughs> I mean, you have the kind of natural fear you mentioned of the pandemic. That's real. It's a real disease. Um, And so there's naturally this fear. You want to avoid it. But the way the left has sort of weaponized it with all um, all of the, now they want to have, you know, everybody has to be vaccinated with an experimental drug. And they want, you know, vaccine passports. They, 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 the lockdown, the, it's always the, the blue states that want to lock everything down, close schools. So children, children are at much greater risk from the influenza than from COVID. That is a fact. That's science, the science, as they say. That, that, that is irrefutable. Okay. Do we close the schools every year because there's the flu? No, uh, it, it's it's a it's a political weaponization of fear. But it's it's not only COVID. It's you know global warming, uh, which has been renamed uh, uh, um climate change because it works either way, whether the temperature goes up <laughs> right. or down. Uh, they're they're terrifying children. They're they're teaching children that we're killing the polar bears and the oceans are going to rise. Uh, there there are even couples. Young couples uh, of childbearing age that don't want to have children because they're so they believe this stuff from um, the former bartender Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who says that we're all going to be dead in ten years if we don't um, do something, you know, tremendous and spend trillions of dollars to uh, redo re- the world. In fact, there is this thing called the Great Reset, where they the the globalists and the the, the Democrats are openly openly like Pierre Trudeau the prime minister of Canada openly saying we need to use covid to implement a great reset their word okay great reset of the world in other words the socialist transformation of the world and they people like uh, like trudeau and others Again, I, I just this is not just some guy on the radio. You can look this up. They are openly citing COVID. They're saying COVID gives us the opportunity to do what we couldn't do before. Remember Rahm Emanuel during Obama? He said, never let a good crisis go to waste. This is a great, a true crisis. And it doesn't mean just a fake crisis, a real crisis. You don't want to make it go to waste where you can re, you can transform things. You can get things done you couldn't otherwise do that's what ron manuel uh, said we're gonna end uh, that's so, a
1: great way to end it we're at we're up against a hard break but that is a perfect way to end it david thank you so much for joining us that thank was you david fabulous uh, discussion we really appreciate it thank you to our listeners we want to wish you all a wonderful safe weekend please join us next week for more of today with dr wendy headlines with the silver lining have a great week and god bless you